Welcome back to Indian Creek Baptist Church for our Sunday morning service. Uh, we've been uh, going through a series, Lessons in Obedience. We started with the book of Jonah, looked at Jonah's life and his disobedience to God, uh, compared that to our own. We looked at uh, the book of Ruth and saw her obedience to Naomi and uh, to God and to <clears throat> her love and care. We saw the pictures that God had shown us through that. And last week, we took a brief overview of the book of Esther and uh, introduced kind of the main people that were going to be involved and uh, saw some interesting things about the book. We looked at the setting, the time frame that it was between Ezra and Nehemiah, um, the things that were going on in the world at that point. Uh, but we also noted that uh, God is not mentioned in the book of Esther by name or by uh, even really um, alluded to other than a point where uh, the queen Esther, excuse me, asks uh, her cousin Mordecai to gather all the Jews in Shushan the palace and ask them to fast, and uh, Esther herself with her maidens fast uh, before she goes in under the king. And that's really the only mention of God in all of this, but through the whole book we can see uh, God's hand, God's provision, and God's guiding and directing in all of this. So, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1 today and really get into the story. Uh, so Esther chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even to Ethiopia over an hundred and seven and twenty provinces, that in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign he made a feast unto all his, his princes, and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even in hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to king Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zether, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the beauty and the princes her beauty, or sorry, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains, wherefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we love you again. We thank you so much for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to hear your truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, that you would mold us and shape us, that you would change our hearts, that you would uh, increase in us, that we would see your love, your care, your provision in our lives, and that we would uh, 
be strengthened and encouraged. So God, please guide and direct. Watch over us today as we go down to the park and help us to be that bold and effective witness that we should be. So God, please work in us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here, we talked about this a little bit last week, King Ahasuerus was a very powerful king. Uh, it says in, cha- in verse number 1 of chapter 1 that he ruled over uh, 127 provinces. He ru- ruled all the way from modern-day India uh, all the way over to Ethiopia in Africa. This was basically the entire Middle East region. Uh, he was king over all of that. He had princes and, and uh, governors that over, watched over all these 127 provinces, but they all answered to him. And we see here that in the third year of his reign, after he's taken over and everything's kind of settled down, he brings all of them in from all the provinces, and he has a great feast, a feast that lasts 180 days, six months. Now, uh, historians would say that this feast was more a planning session, that this was not a, uh, a big party, but this was more of a planning session for his next uh, excursion, his next, uh, his next trip to conquer within the empire. Uh, that's why it took so long. That's why the people that were there were included, was so that he could plan it. And the Bible kind of lends itself to this and the fact that there's not much given about this feast that lasts 180 days. Now, you would think if a feast lasted six months that there would be a lot to record. But instead, we're, we see even more about the feast that happens after this one. Uh, after this one gets done, he has a party for everyone in Shushan the palace that lasts seven days. And it is described in much more detail. Uh, it is described as... Uh, drinking and eating and the king being merry with wine where the other feast was not described in this way so i i do believe that the historians are correct that this is a this first feast is a planning session this is business um but we can learn a few things from this we we know that the king uh he's a gentile king and like most gentile kings well like most kings period uh he was a very prideful man um For him to be able to rule over 127 provinces, he had to think pretty highly of himself. And we see in verse number 4 that one of the main purposes for this feast, or one of the main things that happened at this feast, is that he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty for many days, even in 104 score days. He was bragging. Uh, not only was this probably a planning session, but he was bragging to all the world about how rich and how powerful he was. And we see this, uh, unfortunately, we see this even with the Jewish kings. We know that, um, oh, it just slipped my mind. Um, Hezekiah, yes. The king Hezekiah, uh, he brought in, he had men visiting from Babylon, and, and he showed them his power and his glory, and, and uh, God rebuked him for that. We know that uh, the, the wicked kings of Israel and, and of Judah uh, were all very, uh, very full of themselves, very wanting them people to know that they were the king, that they were uh, really the only time that they didn't have on royal apparel is when they were trying to avoid being shot during war. Um, but this is, this is the way, this is the, the mind frame of the people that are theirs. They're there 
to worship this king. And as I've said before, when we started this last week, we talked about many believe that, uh, or would say that King Ahasuerus is a picture of God. Um, unfortunately, uh, like I told you last week, I believe that he's more a picture of Satan than he is of God. Because God doesn't demand worship. God doesn't demand he asks for it. He, he is righteous and holy and deserves worship, but he doesn't demand it. He doesn't take us and twist our arm and make us go to a feast and, and, and serve him. But here, King Ahasuerus is bringing in his princes and his powers from all over Media and Persia, and then after that first six months, uh, for another seven days, he's bringing everyone in and Shushan the palace and, and basically demanding that they worship him, that they that they uh, boost his ego. And then we see this, this second feast. Seven days after the first feast was ended, uh, he Ahasuerus decides to hold another feast for all of Shushan the palace. And this feast, uh, great and small, were brought in and it's given in much more detail. If we look at verse uh, verse number 5, we know that it was held in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Verse number 6, there were white and purple and blue hangings fastened with cords and uh, linen, fine linen and purple, the silver rings and pillars of marble. Uh, the beds were made of gold and silver, a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. The floor was was decorated immaculately and uh, he gave them drink in vessels of gold, uh, each vessel being different from another. Uh, these were all trophies. <clears throat> this was as a, a king would come in and conquer, he would raid the, the storehouses. Uh, we think back to Solomon who when he was uh, made king over after David, when he succeeded, uh, succeeded David, that God had given him wisdom and made him one of the richest kings in the world and he was able to, to provide and build the temple and the beauty of the temple as, as everything was, was covered in gold. Well, when the armies came in and, and uh, conquered Israel, they destroyed the temple and they took all of that, all of the temple implements, everything they took uh, and made it their own, put it in their own storehouses, made it... Uh, we know in the time of Daniel that... Um, I believe it was Belshazzar. Uh, he takes and he brings in the vessels of gold that were taken out of the temple of God and, and he begins to, to make merry and to drink and to blaspheme God and that's when God sends the hand to write on the wall. Uh, and Daniel, and they have to, they have to interpret it. Um, because he had taken all of these things and now he was, he was uh, uh, desecrating them. I had to think of abomination of desolation of desecration. Anyway, that's where I had to go with that. But he was desecrating them. He he was he was uh, sinning and and going against God's command in all of this. But the other thing that we see here is that during this feast, uh, there's a very telling uh, piece here, verse number eight. And the drinking was according to the law; none did compel. For so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. They were left to their own devices. These people that were attending, uh, they were left to do whatever they pleased. And we know that uh, 
at least I know just from experience in raising children, and I'm sure my mom knows this and my grandparents know this as they helped raise my cousins and I, that if you leave us alone to do whatever we want and don't watch us, we get into some pretty crazy things. Um, we, I have a couple of cousins that have uh, very large scars from things that we did when we were left up to ourselves. Um, so here, he just leaves them to do whatever they want. But also notice that this only applied to the men because it notes in verse number 9 that also Vashti the queen uh, made a feast to the women in the royal house which belonged to the king of Ahasuerus. But in verse number 10, on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine that he commanded his chamberlains, I don't want to read through all those names again, to bring Vashti the queen uh, to present her to the court, to, to present her to everybody there because she was so beautiful. The queen didn't have a choice. Well, she made a choice. But she was given a command and she was expected to obey. On the seventh day of this feast, the king's heart is merry with wine. The king had, had decided to show off a little, just a little bit more. And he ordered the chamberlains to go and to fetch his queen. Now we, we understand in Proverbs 31... Uh, Proverbs 31 is uh, the proverb of the virtuous woman. Um, but we understand in Proverbs 31 in verse number 6. This is, well, I'll just start in verse number 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to, the, to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of a heavy heart. Now they believe that this King Lemuel is King Solomon, that the mother that he's talking about, of course, is Bathsheba, if that's the case, and she's warning her son that it is not for kings to drink strong drink. It is not for them to drink wine. They need to at all times be of sound mind so that they can make decisions for the king. The wisest king to have ever lived reminds us that drunkenness or consumption of wine is not for kings. It affects their decision making. It makes them do things that they wouldn't normally do. In this case, the king's heart is merry with wine. He, he is countenance has changed because of the wine. I believe that he's drunk. So he demands that the queen be paraded in front of all these that were present. Now, we also need to understand in this culture that this would have gone against custom and law for this culture. We see it in the Middle East today, in the Muslim nations and in many other nations that, that the women are to be covered completely that the only time they're to be uncovered, that their faces are to be shown, is in front of their husbands. Here, the king wants the queen to be brought in and be paraded around in her crown in front of all that are gathered there so that they can see her beauty. Well, how can they see her beauty if she's covered from head to toe? The king wanted Vashti to go against their culture, to go against their laws. They wanted her to be, he wanted her to be exposed so that all could see her. And she must have been very beautiful. Uh, the king, it says, it's said several times that she is 
she is beautiful. And I, I don't blame the king for wanting to show her off. But it puts Vashti in a position where she has to make a decision. Now, most, most of the time we see this as rebellion. And honestly, it is rebellion. She is rebelling against the commandment of the king. She is going against what the leader of her nation is telling her to do. But she has to make a choice. Now, it could be that this is why that she is making this choice because it goes against the customs and the laws because the king is asking her to do something that's illegal. It could be that she's making this choice to refuse to go before the king simply because she's throwing a party for all the women of Shushan the palace and she's the host. And it could be simply that she's just tired of the king. She's tired of his antics and she doesn't want to go and stand before a drunk and deal with him at this point. In any of this case, we have to understand that she made a choice knowing the consequences. The consequences for refusing the king were punishable up to death. Rebellion, she could be put to death for this. Now, we're going to see later, she's, I don't believe that she's actually put to death, but she is removed from being queen. But she went into this fully knowing what was going to happen. This is something we have to remember in our own lives. Because in the times that we live in today, the Bible tells us to uh, obey the authorities that are given over us. But it also tells us to obey God above all. So we have to weigh and balance everything that is given to us. But we also have to understand that there's going to be consequences. You go to the book of Acts and you see Peter and, and uh, John going into the temple. And uh, the, the man is sitting there waiting for alms and Peter uh, gives probably another one of my favorite lines, you know, gold and silver have I none, but what I have I give thee. And they go in and they, they begin to preach in the temple and the man is, is healed and he's, he's leaping and rejoicing and, and Peter and John are, are taken prisoner and they're beaten and they're, they're directly told by the government, do not preach in this name anymore. And when they're released, they immediately go out and begin to preach in that name again. They immediately go and begin to preach the name of Christ. And they're arrested again, and they're brought before the, the magistrates again. And Peter says, am I to obey God, or obey man rather than God? Peter and, and John, they knew exactly what was going to happen. The apostles, as they went out, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew that Christ was hated. They knew that they were going to be hated. But they purposed in their heart to follow God and God alone. Daniel, as he was taken captive, he purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. They had been commanded to take that portion but he knew full well going into what he was doing that if he disobeyed the king, he could be killed. And that's why he made a promise with the jailer. Do what I ask for this time. And if in this time we don't appear fairer and better than all the rest, do what you need to with us. He was willing. Vashti knew what she was going into. 
she knew that she was going to be punished, that, that she was going to possibly uh, be killed because she was disobeying the king. We don't see her reaction. We'll get into it next week, but we don't see her reaction as she's being removed. We don't, uh, we don't see them uh, dragging her out and she's kicking and screaming and, and all of those things. But how often does that happen in our lives? I, I got burdened when we were in Missouri um, to not speed, uh, to not even go a mile an hour over the speed limit. The posted speed limit is the speed limit. That is the law. Uh, generally, it is believed that you have about nine miles an hour before you'll get a ticket. It's false. That's up to each individual police officer. But how many people uh, do you see that get pulled over and just are glad to see the police officer doing his job when they give him a, give you a speeding ticket? I know the few speeding tickets that I've gotten, I've not been real happy that I got them. But I knew and understand that I deserved them. Uh, I was headed to Missouri to go see my biological grandfather and my biological father when I was, uh, well, it was 2006. It was uh, it was November of 2006 because it was during deer season. That's why I was going down there. And uh, I had my Dalmatian in the passenger seat of my Dodge pickup, and I'm heading down Interstate 35 at, like, midnight, just cruising along, passing the semis. I had a CB in the truck, and I hear the, the semis around me start talking about this state trooper that had turned around in the medium and was headed south. And I knew immediately he was looking for me because I was doing about 100 miles an hour. And... Uh, so I, I looked in the rearview mirror and I could see the lights coming up and he, he had to really get on it to catch me. And I, I could have, I had passed several exits that I could have gotten off on and shut my lights off and he would have no idea where I was at. But I got in the slow lane and I pulled over and, and he came up. And of course my dog had been sound asleep this whole time, but as soon as I stopped, he woke up. And as soon as the state trooper came to the window, he wanted to say hi. And he was a large dog. He was probably 110, 120-pound Dalmatian. So I'm trying to hold him over here and talk to the state trooper and give him all my stuff. And um, Thankfully, he only gave me a ticket for doing 90. Uh, in a, It was only 65 at the time, so it was a $102 fine, but I didn't lose my license. Um, but I deserved that ticket completely. Um, but... I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been any less deserving of a ticket if I had been going sixty-seven miles an hour. But how many times do we get the punishment that we deserve and we kick and scream? But even worse, how many times do we get grace and we still throw a fit? You know, God has shown us so much grace and shown so much mercy. If you take out, just take out Calvary. Take out the fact that Christ came to this earth specifically to die for our sins and pay our penalty so that we didn't have to spend eternity in hell. If you take all of that out and still look at your life 
and see all the times where you've been protected. I, I was, I've been going to the chiropractor. Um, I hurt myself Labor Day weekend or Labor Day. And uh, so I've been going to the chiropractor to get that fixed and um, having a conversation. Her husband's an old friend of my dad's and a friend of mine and um, having a conversation about how I originally hurt my back, which was rodeoing, riding bulls and, and being on the fire department and all those things. And, and the last bull that I ever got on was uh, in 2005, August of 2005, right down here in the arena at the park. And that bull, when he bucked me off, he got behind me and he, he got his horn underneath my vest and he picked me up and he slammed me into the ground five or six times. And uh, I was, I got up, was able to get up, get away from him, get out of the arena. Um, and I'm very thankful that he didn't break my back. Um, they just celebrated uh, the death of a man named Lane Frost. Lane was uh, a bull rider in the early 80s, uh, multiple time world champion. Um, and uh, he was killed at Cheyenne Frontier Days by a bull that, that hooked him and, and broke his rib and it, it punctured his, his heart and he bled out in the arena. That's the reason that we wear vests now. That's the reason it's required. And yet, in God's grace and God's mercy, uh, before I ever knew him and not hurting me more severely, I, I spent a month grumbling and complaining about the pain and the suffering that I had put myself in, by the way. Um, you know, growing up, I would look through Dad's photo albums. Dad didn't have a lot of pictures of him succeeding fighting bulls. But he had probably, if you stack the photo albums, they were probably this tall, of nothing but pictures of bruises and broken things and uh, from where he just got beat up. We get grace and mercy every day and we, we just see it as anything and else, anything and everything. We, 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 don't, we don't love and thank God for it. Pastor Potter this morning, uh, he, I don't know if he's just sending this to me. It'll, it'll, at this point, it's only coming to me from him, but I don't know if he's sending this to everybody that he knows. It's not like a big group message, but... Uh, at 7 o'clock this morning, he said, let's be thankful for what the Lord has given us, who the Lord has given us, and where the Lord has us today. It's better to be thankful for what we have than to spend the Lord's day focused on what we wish we had. And we, we don't see Vashti's reaction here. Uh, we see the king's reaction to being, uh, um, to Vashti's rebellion. He gets angry and he's very wroth and, Next week we'll get into the question and, and how he's going to deal with all that. But put yourself in Vashti's shoes. Knowing that she was disobeying the king, knowing the punishment, where would you have been? How would you have reacted? Or simply think about today. Are we focused on the things that we don't have? Are we focused on the things that have gone wrong? Rachel and I have had a, a wonderful, interesting morning already. We've had some issues with the house. Going to get them taken care of hopefully tomorrow. 
uh, I could spend the day dwelling on that. I, I could have, honestly, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to have service this morning. We, the water wouldn't shut off in the shower, and I wasn't going to let it sit and run all day and have a you know, $100,000 water bill. But I wasn't sure how deep I was going to have to get into that to get the water shut off. But anyway, um, I can be frustrated with all of that that the day is not going the way it should. But that's exactly what God has for us today. That didn't happen by accident. We looked at it this morning with Gideon. Uh, God provided for Gideon and his 300 men to conquer the Midianite army, and they never had to lift a sword. They, we don't even know that they had swords. They had lan- lanterns in their left hand and trumpets in their right hand, and they stood in place. They had to go through all of that simply so they could see God's power. I don't know what the lesson for this is today, but uh, I need to see God's power. I need to not let these things distract me so that we can continue to move forward and live for God.